It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 207, The Prophet Ezekiel's Encounter. In Babylon, God raises up another prophet. His name is Ezekiel, and he'll be the voice of judgment over Judah from the protected distance of Babylon. In this episode, we cover the incredible revelations of God Ezekiel received in some of his first prophetic assignments. In my thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were open, I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River, in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each had a face of a lion, on the left the face of an ox, and each also had a face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spread out upward, each wing touching that of the other creature on the other side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved forth and back among the creatures, and it was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. And as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to me made like a wheel intersecting a wheel, as if they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced, and the wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when the creatures moved, they also moved. And when the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like something like a vault. 
sparkling like crystal and awesome. And under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. And when the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. And then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood up with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw him, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Okay, that was awesome. After covering Isaiah's encounter and the creatures, we get another glimpse of them. Also, the throne of God, apparently this time the mobile throne of God. I love the complex imagery, balls of fire but not consuming, lightning flashes, noisy, the wheels, mechanical part of it, though they're all covered in eyes. The wheels seem to be a time travel mechanism part of the mobile throne thing. I don't really, I, I honestly, I, I don't know what to make of the wheels within the wheels. Because you don't normally hear about these wheels, uh, when the other prophets seem to be describing um, the throne of heaven, it only seems to happen in certain occasions, it appears, when the throne is visiting earth. Um, though that's more of kind of an opinion, but... You don't normally hear that much about these wheels. So back to the creatures. They really are one of the greatest mysteries in heaven to me, and but a secondary mystery for when our time comes to visit the other side. These creatures won't be on our priority list, unfortunately. We'll be in all of God himself and have little else to say for a long time except that just the, the amazement of God and the worship of God because it'll be so overwhelming. Some point we'll learn more about these creatures, um, but with the pictures we get um, from these Old Testament prophets and, and even the prophet John later um, or the, the apostle John later um, are just, all they do is just kind of give you a, a little taster of what the throne of heaven is like. And, and, and then and they describe these creatures that are so unusual. Now Ezekiel receives his calling as well. And notice how God reveals himself to people. It's a continual theme where um, he's going to reveal himself, he's going to speak identity, and then he's going to give purpose. And, and that goes with all of us. You know, it, there's a there's that, that theory that our salvation experience or the, the moment God delivers us from sin is that, that picture of the calling that he has for us. The revelation of God is for our benefit, call it our faith, and the assignment and purpose for our life follows soon after. Ezekiel 2, he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among you. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. Their briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are rebellious. 
You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I have given you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were, were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go up, speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate and tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language, whose words you can't understand. Surely, if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you, because they're not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardening, hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where I was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. And then the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. And I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed." Okay, so Ezekiel receives his calling and purpose. He ate the scroll of lament and woe. And notice how he here it says he was deeply distressed and he sat silent among the elders of the exiles for seven days, which implies a few things, like the manifestation of God was so real to him he was speechless. Also, his calling was overwhelming and his message was terrifying, not to mention that, um, that scroll that he ate. I believe a combination of all of this was going through him, he was on overload, but silent, and still, and distressed. And here's another principle. The greater the supernatural experience, the greater the calling. I think this goes, uh, this goes with that personal theory of mine. It's just a theory, but in, in situation after situation, it seems to be true. Consider the day you were called, or the day, or the way you were saved, is a picture of the purpose and the calling you have in God. For example, you got saved in a small home group, or years later you have a passion for small groups, or we, or we had a guy tell you about Jesus in a college fraternity, and now you have a desire to share Jesus with college students. You got saved through inspired teaching, and now you want to be a teacher. If God ordains our salvation experience, then it would be tailored towards our calling, destiny, and purpose. Here's a prophet. He encounters God, and he has such a revelation of him, he will have no fear of man. So here's a question for you, though. When you were saved, what was the setting and how was the message communicated to you? The setting and delivery is important to understand. If it was through a revelation of God independent of a church setting, even better, as long as it's aligned with the word and it was truly Jesus that came to you, um, it's like, you know, like Ezekiel. He had something like that. If you learn you 
learned you got saved because someone was praying for you. And there's an indication of a gift of intercession and how your prayers now can do the same thing. If you're not saved, simply repent and ask Jesus into your heart and commit your life to him. Salvation's a gift. It's nothing you can buy or do. It just requires submission. If you're not saved, ask God to take away your sin because he already paid for it on the cross. Ask Jesus to fill you with him and commit your life to him and see what he does. Maybe he has a purpose for you related to podcasting, media, history, or teaching. Invent God to do something new in your life. More than anything, ask him to reveal himself to you personally. There is no argument against God's existence to a person who's experienced him personally. Try telling Ezekiel that God didn't exist after this experience. It's not going to happen. After seven days of silence among the surviving elders of the 10,000, Ezekiel finally speaks. Ezekiel 3.16 At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, the wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways. They will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Isn't this interesting? This is his assignment. He's a watchman. His job is to warn people of judgment. Then he even adds accountability. If he is faithful, he passes responsibility to them. If he fails to be faithful, responsibility is in his hands. What a horrible and awesome responsibility. But consider it like a father or a teacher now. If they fail to teach their kids about Jesus, well, whose fault is it if they don't walk with him and walk in, instead they walk in the ways of sin? No wonder teachers have a greater measure of judgment, according to James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Ezekiel continues, adding more weight to the responsibility of the watchman. Ezekiel three twenty. Again, when a righteous man turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you did warn the person not to sin, and they did not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will be saving yourself. The hand of the Lord was on me there, and he said to me, Get up and go to the plain, and there I will speak to you. So I got up and went out to the plain, and the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. Then the Spirit came to me and raised me to my feet, and he spoke to me and said, Go, shut yourself inside your house, and you, son of man, they will tie with ropes, and you will be bound so that you cannot go out among the people. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, so that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them, for they are rebellious people. And when I speak to you, I will open your mouth. And you shall say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whoever will listen, let them listen. And whoever will refuse, let them refuse, for they are rebellious people. Now we've heard the responsibilities of the watchmen and the revelations of God. And now we start to see the strangest things coming from Ezekiel and his prophecies in relationship with God. Ezekiel is also an intercessor of sorts, and his assignment 
to have purposes that are revelatory and prophetic in nature. There are so many of them, and they're, they're quite unusual. Here's the first of these experiences after his revelations of God and the calling of God. Ezekiel 4. Now son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it, erect siege towers against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign of the people of Israel. Then lie on your left side, and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you live on your lie on your side, and I have assigned you to the same number of days of the years of their sin. So for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. And after you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face towards the siege of Jerusalem with the bared arm prophesied against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat during the 390 days you lie on your side, weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day, and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hen of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread, bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said, In this way the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I have driven them. Then I said, Not so, sovereign Lord. I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No unpure meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, he said, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. Make sense? Well, not to me either. Well, we can dig into this symbolically, but in the end, Ezekiel is a sign and a wonder. Anyone who passed him by or heard what he was doing would get the point. Lying on his side, almost like a woman in childbirth, he was praying for them. The amount of prayer and intercession coming from him over this most unusual fast of sorts would have been incredibly sensitizing the hearts of those who would listen, who would be humble in this age. I mean, the, the amount of prayer that he's sending up in this strange sort of obedient prophetic fast should be connecting with anyone who is humble in this age to repent. I mean, the word must have gone forth. People must have walked by his house. All the elders must have talked about it. All the way back to Jerusalem, they must have been hearing about this crazy prophet praying on his side besides a model of the siege towers um, in front of them of the future siege of Jerusalem. There must have been so much intercession that he was doing for his, who was left of the tens of thousands that were left in the state of Judah. But I'm afraid they weren't listening. But those who were humble, they had their opportunity. Unfortunately, humility was severely lacking in this age. 
Here's another one of Ezekiel's moments, Ezekiel 5. Now, son of man, take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard. Then take a set of scales and divide up the hair. And when the days of your siege come to an end, burn a third of the hair inside the city and scatter a third to the wind. For I will pursue them with the drawn sword. Then take a few hairs, tuck them away in the folds of your garment. And again, take a few of these and throw them in the fire and burn them up. A fire will spread from there to all Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, she's rebelled against my laws and decrees more than the nations and countries around her. She has rejected my laws and has not followed my decrees. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. You have been more unruly than the nations around you. If you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, you have not even conformed to the standards of the nations around you. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem. I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Ezekiel continues, A third of your people will die of the plague or perish by famine inside you. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls, and a third will be scattered to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. Then my anger will cease, and my wrath against them will subside, and I will be avenged. And when I have spent my wrath on them, they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal. I will make you a ruin and a reproach among the nations around you in the sight of all who pass by. You will be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and an object of horror to the nations around you when I inflict punishment on you in anger and in wrath with the stinging rebuke. I, the Lord, have spoken. When I shoot at you with my deadly and destructive arrows of famine, I will shoot to destroy you. I will bring more and more famine upon you and cut off your food supply. I will send famine and wild beasts against you, and they will leave you childless. Plague and bloodshed will sweep through you, and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So the book of Ezekiel is full of these personal revelations and intercession assignments, but these words of judgment as well. We've only pulled samples of them to give everyone a flavor and those um, that help to tell our chronological story. And what follows these assignments and his entire grouping of temple assignments, uh, which we'll cover in the next episode, uh, but, the, but the next um, grouping of um, chronological prophecies that Ezekiel gives is where he's actually, most of them he's actually transported to Judah, or he has an open vision, um, and, and it's kind of like the days of Elisha where he saw inside the king's bedchamber. Um, in this case, um, though Ezekiel's in Babylon, he's getting revelations of what's going on in Judah, and he speaks and prophesies, and he sees some really outlandish things, but that's the book of Ezekiel. I mean, he has open visions, he sees heaven, he sees this mobile throne. Now he's going to see um, kind of what happens on the judgment side, um, and, and, and then he gets these discernment pieces and revelations of, of the sin in, in Judah. After the staggering revelations of God and the most unusual fast of sorts and intercession in world history, um, God confirms Ezekiel's prophetic promise and purpose and the weight of his assignment again in Ezekiel 33. We conclude this episode with the famous Watchman verses from Ezekiel 
Um, and the watchman anointing or assignment and how they parallel the watchman on the walls principle. In summary, God gives the watchman spiritual discernment to discern the times and the seasons and the approaching enemy. And the assignment is to issue warnings and decrees and prophecies of the future to alert the people to impending disaster. Their response is not the responsibility of the watchman, only to alert them and to communicate the dire message of repent and be on guard and be watchful, be aware of the enemies at the gates. And above all, this message that disaster is coming, it's seen, it's prophesied, it's on the way. Ezekiel 33, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men, and make them their watchmen, and seize the sword coming against the land, and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet, but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that that wicked person will die for their sin, I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Therefore, son of man, say to your people, If anyone who is righteous disobeys, that person's former righteousness will count for nothing. And if someone who is wicked repents, that person's former wickedness will not bring condemnation. The righteous person who sins will not be allowed to live even though he they were formerly righteous. But if I tell a righteous person that they will surely live, then they will trust in their righteousness and do evil. None of the righteous things that person has done will be remembered. They will die for the evil they have done. And if I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, but they then turn from their sin and do what is just and right, if they give back what they took and pledge for a loan, return what they have stolen. Follow the decrees that give life and do no evil. That person will surely live. They will not die. None of the sins that person has committed will be remembered against them. They have done what is just and right, and they will surely live. Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just, but it is their way that is not just. If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, they will die for it. And if a wicked person turns away from their wickedness and does what is just and right, they will live by doing so. Yet you Israelites say, the way of the Lord is not just, but I will judge each of you according to your own ways. Judgment is coming.
mercy and grace are the only way out of sin and judgment, and they are the path to Jesus and his redemption on the cross. In the age of Ezekiel, they could plead with God and repent, and he would hear them looking ahead to the cross. In this age where we live now, we can look back to that horrible day when Jesus died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. Repent. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, for they were paid for at the cross. Submit your life to him and ask him to make you new, to give you a new heart, a new mind, to be his forever, protected in the Father's heart. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.